Welcome to Misty Night, a podcast exploring the doubts and concerns that arise around Christianity. I'm Nick Petkoff. I'm Andy Yetter. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, we invite you to join us on this journey as we navigate the misty nights of doubt and uncertainty. Faith isn't about your ability to muster a belief out of nothing. It's our hope that through the process of exploring doubts, asking questions, and searching, you'll build a personal faith that is tangible and reliable. So let's take another step on that journey right now. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Misty Night Podcast. I am Andy Yetter, joined once again with my good friend, Nick Petkoff. Hey, Nick, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Morning for me, but a coffee makes this go a lot better. Oh, yeah. I keep, I keep forgetting. about. You know, I, I forget about it, but at the same time, I'm very aware of it because of the light coming through your window. <laughs> but it's one of those that doesn't make the verbal translation as it comes out of my mouth, I guess. Mm, it's true. Misty nights, <laughs> misty days. Works. So uh, the topic for today's episode is something that I think many Christians take for granted, but that maybe outsiders of the faith, maybe new people to the faith, um, they might be a little bit more skeptical or curious about it. And that question is, uh, was Jesus a real historical figure? That's a good question. Like, but not even getting into all the religious aspects of it, just looking at this person, did they exist in some point in time? And I do like that question because I don't hear it often, um, which shows how disconnected I am in some ways, because <laughs> there was a study just five years ago that um, basically found that a quarter of the people they had asked about this particular question of faith, that those people didn't actually believe Jesus was even a real person suspending every other belief about him just as an actual person who walked the earth only about a quarter of people even believe that that's, and that's, that's alarming to me just hearing those statistics right because i mean again growing up in the church there's certain things you just think people take for granted and so hearing you know basically one in five you know or one in four don't don't believe that is, is i don't take catches me off guard I think it's in the same vein of like when you ask people, you know, you know, the kind of stereotypical, you know, devil with horns and the red outfit, right? With the poker, um, you know, there's a lot of people that think that is the real Christian representation of the devil too. Um, so it's just kind of interesting how, how things are really sometimes what, what the public believes is so different than what we in the church sometimes think everyone should just know. Right. That's a good point. It was just, just a, lot of general assumption on both sides about a lot of things that yeah you just assume people are in the same camp or same understanding and i mean we're all guilty of that with a lot of things you know not just in the religious camp um but this one for sure and there's even a growing trend um that shows that this is always a changing uh changing thing there's a big trend toward like kind of historical negationism or denialism and you see this more common in a lot of uh, social media like things like the holocaust denial or flat earth theory um things that historically generally have just had a huge majority behind it and might still i mean those examples are probably bad examples because i think most people probably would still fall behind you know a certain yeah. decision on that but there's always another side to every single decision ever been made right and so I think as times change, those change too. 
I, mean, I think it's a good point to make, right? Which with I mean, even the new, anything that having just happened yesterday, you're going to have some people that might disagree on it and say, oh, that's not really what happened or oh, that's what happened. So there's there's always going to be this element of, we'll say, common knowledge, not keeping up with the facts. Um, because because there's so much stuff, right, involves you needing to actually dig into the details to understand what actually happened. And there's a good amount of, you know, data that floats around on social media that people just read and digest and assume it's true. Um, and that kind of stuff really influences people on large numbers like large at a large scale of being you know they read some things that people put on twitter or on the internet and the internet becomes a little bit of an echo chamber and but people just start to assume oh i guess these are the facts because this is what i hear or see online yep that's a really easy trap to fall into and i mean i can fall into that trap really easily as we prepared out discussions about this kind of thing is just kind of feeding your own confirmation bias you have to be careful like what terms you're using when you search because you're inadvertently looking for exactly what you want to see and yeah it takes a lot of awareness to to avoid that kind of like you said echo chamber that you get yourself into and really rob yourself of a chance to to see other perspectives and learn yeah i think I mean, that's a it's a great thing to call out right which is know, know what biases you're going in with because as I was doing some research for this episode, you know, so certain things I already kind of knew, but then just reading other people's opinions, like you start to kind of see articles that are written where it's obvious the person had a very particular viewpoint. And, you know, and it's just kind of a watch out for anybody that's doing research on any topic, you know, for apologetics or otherwise, of being aware of, you know, how much of a balanced treatment do people give topics? How much do people seem like they're just kind of blindly pushing through their own opinions and biases? And, and ultimately, that's going to be a topic that recurs throughout this conversation and probably every other conversation on this you know, podcast, which is just that I think you're always going to have someone that can spin it, some, some strand of doubt, um, and just kind of use that as the rationale for not believing. Um, you know, I think the challenge for a lot of us is you know, we want to be intellectually honest with ourselves. We want to not just you know blindly believe things i mean that's that's part of the reason apologetics is a thing um but we have to be careful that we're not using that as like against us to to blind us to some truth that are out there um mm -hmm. but it's you know, as you said it's a risk on both sides though with the confirmation bias and just something we have to be diligent about yes i think that's prudent to mention and one more point before we move into the actual topic is there is a contrast to that where um it does happen that we do find new things and new evidence and sometimes you know commonly held beliefs do get shifted like the thomas edison one being a great example who was credited for all kinds of uh, great things and then found later that might not have been the case might have actually stole a lot of those things might have actually done some pretty underhanded stuff right and so it might be that this podcast doesn't age that well and maybe there'll <laughs> be all kinds of like you know new evidence um you know, historical or otherwise, that moves things in a different direction. And so it's also okay to, you know, let yourself be changed, depending on, you know, the things that you come up with. I think that's a great kicking off point, which is this question of was Jesus a real historical figure? It's not a question that we should just assume, that we should just ignore. You know, it's always worth looking at with whatever information right. we have at hand. We just have to make sure that we're not bending information to, to meet a preconceived notion. All that being said then, and trying to dive into the thick of it, we'll say, um, I guess first off, just 
just even set the stage a little bit more is why, why does this question even matter? Um, I think for this one, it's pretty straightforward, right? Like the Christian mm -hmm. faith wouldn't be much without Christ. <laughs> um, the core beliefs of Christianity are so ground into what Jesus existing, his teachings, um, his being fully man and fully God is like one of the core doctrines of our faith. Yeah, it was Paul who said, you know, if Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. I think in that case, he was kind of preaching in Corinthians um, to, to a church in Corinth um, just to kind of, I think, support the, the, those kind of foundational truths about the resurrection and the dead rising. Mm. Um, but I think it just strikes the point home, though, that, you know, our faith relies on a real Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, not just some stories about a mythological figure. Right. And those are some heavy words, right? That faith is nothing. Like, yeah, pretty much everything, you know, you know, <laughs> depends upon this being a real thing. And though we won't get as much into like the deity uh, side of Christ, because this question is really just asking if, you know, he was a human being that, you know, breathed the air on this earth that we breathe. Um, it's still a really good, a really good place to jump off from because it, um, it just, yeah, it's so critical. Yeah. No, and that's the and that's the important point too for any listeners, right? Is this is going to focus really on just answering that question of the historicity of Jesus? If yes, there's going to probably be a lot of tangents, and hopefully we're not going to go down too many of these you know little rabbit paths as we're trying to discuss this topic. Um, but things like the historicity of the Bible, of talking about again the deity of Christ, there's probably a lot of little tangents that go off here, and. We'll try not to get too distracted and hopefully we'll cover those kind of things in other podcast episodes. So one thing I wanted to call out to, again, we're doing a whole lot of conversation here without actually addressing the, <laughs> the topic. Um, but I think this is important stuff. Um, but I feel like it's worth calling out as we talk about the historicity of Jesus, because I feel like this is one of the differentiators between Christianity and other religions, which is, you know, when we look at the New Testament, um, which is, you know, where a lot of our information about Jesus Christ comes from, right? Like, this is this is where we're proclaiming the, the truths of Jesus Christ and his teachings. Um, and you kind of look at this New Testament versus other ancient works, and you basically will see that as you kind of dig into the, the, the hard data of it, that the New Testament has basically been, like, preserved in more manuscripts than any other ancient lit work of or literature like i think it's like thousands and thousands and thousands of manuscripts in different languages some of them dated you know less than 100 years from the events that happened and no other religion can make that claim of having you know written um, testimonies of what happened that close to the events themselves um, we see a lot of things like that the academic world in general will consider true that happens like, you know, 600 years or 500 years, you know, after the events happen. So the Bible does sometimes get a lot more scrutiny because of the nature of its claims. But from an academic scholarship standpoint, there's a lot to be said about just how rich and plentiful the number of resources that we have from the New Testament are that are proclaiming Jesus 
and his existence and his his, his historicity. Mm. Right. It's just not, and it's not just the sheer number um, that's been found. Right. I mean, if you look at the number of other works that we take for granted, like um, the Iliator Odyssey, right, of which we only have a handful of copies of that, but we've used them um, to, you know, uh, build into our understanding of historical events um, quite concretely. And the Bible has so many more um, copies that were found all over the world than that. And not only that, um, they actually are consistent, right? It's not like they found a vastly different version um, of the particular books or, you know, canonical Bible that we have. Yeah. It's, and it's it's good that you bring that up because this really all ties into the very first point, right? Which is when we talk about the historicity of Jesus, you know, what's, what's kind of pointing us to say one way or the other, right? And the first thing is that, yeah, the New Testament is claiming that Jesus was born, you know, that he lived and walked the earth, that he died and was raised. Um, and having that kind of evidence from these different gospels, it's not like the New Testament was just a single book that, you know, hit the shelves um, and everyone just said, oh, wait, let me see this, right? No, like, no, it's a collection of different letters, right? Like it's different authors and it's how they collaborate and corroborate each other's stories. Um, now, I know there are some skeptics out there, right? That'll point out things that they see different between the different gospels. And they'll say, oh, see, mm. you're not, there's differences. These things, how can I use the New Testament as evidence? Because obviously there's contradictions. Um, and again, this isn't meant to be a defense of the historicity of the, the, the Gospels. It isn't meant to be a defense of those Gospels themselves and how what the contradictions are specifically. What I'll say is that a lot of those supposed contradictions can be resolved with rather simple, um, just narrative understandings of how different authors would describe different things of different points that different authors are trying to emphasize. Um, there are, there are elements of course out there where there might have been evidence that someone did make some additions to different texts or made some changes to texts. But at the end of the day, the main thrust of the literature, which again has been around since, you know, within the age of those who kind of lived and witnessed it, um, it's still kind of true to its core of declaring, you know, Jesus Christ as a historical figure. Right. And while it definitely is um, something we'll probably discuss in other podcasts, it's just the um, simply the foundation of the Bible and, you know, who decided, you know, what books go in here and what order and all that kind of stuff. And there's a whole lot we can get into with that. And we will. Um, it's really important, too, because it's going to have an impact on a lot of questions like this. Um, but thankfully, we also have other sources we can go to um, as well when dealing with this question of if Jesus was a real person or not. There are other um, documents and sources other than the Bible that give credit to his existence. And I mean, um, one of those that I'll just bring up right off the bat is um, Flavius Josephus, who was a first century Jewish historian and pretty much might be the biggest source of information of what we got for like Palestine back then. Um, yeah. He wasn't a follower of Jesus, um, which helps give some credibility depending on how you look at it. And even though he was around during the early periods of the church, um, that enabled him to kind of rub shoulders with a lot of those people who had seen and heard Jesus um, when he was writing his books. And, and I think that's important to call out, right? Like, and I remember 
as a when I like a long time ago when I first started diving into apologetics, seeing Josephus pop up was like, oh cool, like a Jewish Jewish historian. Mm. Um, and I don't think I, I I fully appreciated the fact that he was not a Christian himself. So so much that we see when people skeptics start to try to attack, you know, different elements of you know Christian faith claims. Um, you know, they'll try to attack, oh, Christians modified this, Christians edited this. And and there are even evidence like or facts like there are some parts of Josephus's work that have some of those claims associated with them that are legitimate. Right. But I think his overall, you know, presentation of facts about Jesus, I think gets strengthened by the fact that he's not a Christian and that he doesn't have, you know, any benefit or self-interest that's going to be promoted by him, you know, falsifying information about Jesus existing. Right. And the particular thing we're talking about is, um, or maybe I should start from a reference in the book um, that people typically use when talking about Jesus um, without getting into the other sections of the book that are generally, unfortunately, yeah, under fair bit of scrutiny because it was probably fabricated or heavily altered at least. And unfortunately, that's currently attributed to Christians that were trying to create credibility in ancient Rome. Um, but the one that's generally understood um, as a reference to Christ is from book 20 and that reference actually says um, from his words that Festus was now dead and Albinus was but upon the road so he assembled the Sahedrin of judges and brought before them the brother of Jesus who was called Christ whose name was James and some others and that's the one we get um, that's probably a more pointed reference to Jesus from a person who wasn't a Christian and wasn't in the biblical canon. Um, but I do okay. think it's also important to look outside um, that scope because another figure that Josephus talks about a lot more and that is generally a much bigger figure in these works and where an overwhelming majority of modern scholars agree as an authentic activity was that of John the Baptist. And these works um, are actually have an overwhelming majority of modern scholars agree on as authentic. And that gets us into like kind of two main points as far as Josephus is concerned, uh, down to the historical facts of Jesus. And the first one is this baptism by John. There was no way an early Christian church wanted to invent this scene. Um, for historical analysis purposes, this is probably called a, what they call a criterion of embarrassment. And that's said because John baptized for the remission of sins and Jesus was viewed as being without sin. So the invention of the story would have served no purpose and it would have been embarrassment given the position of John above Jesus. And that in place with where it's found in a, a Jewish scholars records of history are one of the biggest reasons um, for why it's just a universally accepted thing as it wouldn't have been fabricated um, if it was, it was a really bad idea for a fabrication. <laughs> and, and what's interesting with all of this, right? And I guess just to call it out, because I don't know if we said this yet, you know, generally speaking, from if you go into the actual scholarly analysis, it's almost universally aligned that Christ was a historic person. Mm -hmm. I know we started this whole thing out saying that 25% of people are so didn't, don't believe that. But we'll say from a scholarly academic standpoint, the consensus is almost universal for, for reasons like this. Now, there might be some interesting questions about, you know, the criteria for 
embarrassment and you know how compelling of an argument is that and this really starts to get in some meat and potatoes when it comes down to like how how you actually analyze historical texts and verify truth claims and um you know it's, it's not like some of our other sciences right like this isn't like you know chemistry where i can just go into a lab and reproduce something you know mm -hmm. we're trying to use our logic to discern you know what people would have done if they were trying to tell the truth um, there's a really great book that I recommend to everybody um, called, you know, um, Truth, or sorry, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. There we go. Um, and they go into a great amount of detail here explaining some of the stuff already that we're talking about in this podcast, but also detailing, you know, just from a psychological standpoint of people who, you know, if you try to analyze who's telling truth, like at a court case, what criterion people use to assess who's telling the truth and how we can apply similar aspects, you know, to also seeing what, you know, these different people said about Jesus um, through the you know, early Christian writings and through the Old, you know, old Testament, or sorry, through the New Testament. Totally got off track there now. <laughs> but that's okay. Would you consider that maybe a point of, of soft evidence then when dealing with determining whether that something is truth would it be from a person or from a work or from a writing yeah and this is and i think this is where it starts to get complicated and where especially when skeptics start to get involved too and who has the burden of proof right so we'll have documents that exist that are old old documents that are saying hey jesus existed you know he did these things and then the skeptic will come and say well i don't know if i can trust that right so who, who's the burden of proof on right i have a document that says he exists and then which I would consider hard evidence if I have a document that actually says something. Hmm. And then I would, I'd argue it's up to the skeptic then to, to prove to me why I can't trust that, if that makes sense. Now, again, we, we talk about these whole, um, what was the term again? Something embarrassment? Criterion of embarrassment. Criterion of embarrassment. Yeah. You know, so we talk about this kind of idea of how do we know if someone's maybe making something up or not. And that's almost like, I don't know if that's something I need to immediately use. It's like, it's maybe like something I can kind of use as a, as a test, um, mm -hmm. just to make sure it's not something that would be like an obvious fabrication. So I think that criterion of embarrassment I would almost consider as like a soft evidence because I'm kind of subjectively trying to determine one way or another. But the fact that the text itself exists seems like hard evidence to me. And maybe we're just playing semantics here. Yeah, and generally that probably, I mean, that's very true. And I do, I agree, you know, that when you have a hard evidence like that, that, you know, the person who's critiquing probably should find an angle if they disagree with that you know to you know give the evidence for why that isn't necessarily a stance and unfortunately part of Josephus' works does fall under that because we have you know parts of it that christians were you know manipulating yeah. quite a bit and so this has just been one of those works that's probably been picked apart for that reason alone and it's had to kind of have people defend it, not just for the Jesus aspect, but for a lot of um, Josephus' work that we use for historical. We had to go through all of it then. It's not just people who want to prove Jesus is real, but like, what about all the other accounts that he talks about here? <laughs> and so it's probably been really picked apart in that sense for those exact reasons. Yeah, and I think in a similar vein of this whole criterion of embarrassment, right? I think one of the reasons that people often say, you know, that people can trust the, the New Testament, why they can trust early Christian writings, is that there wasn't a lot of benefit for Christians to be making this stuff up for, right? Like, 
if we look at certain things like um, we'll say like the, Mer the Mormon church with Joseph Smith and you look at try to scrutinize what he was kind of portraying as he hey here's these new revelations I have you assess that and you can see that well Joseph Smith was in a position to benefit very much financially um, he was a guy who was trying to run for president like there's political gain like there's a lot of stuff that he would gain from if people believed his what he was trying to put out there when you look at the Christian church early on you know these are people that wrote this that were martyred for their beliefs and, and not just like not just the apostles right like when you look at the Christian church as a whole and this actually kind of weaves together with another one of our hard sources there was a historian um, Tacitus maybe I'm saying that yeah, Cornelius Tacitus yeah Tacitus there we go talks about the whole idea of you know or he describes how Neo scapegoating the Christians following the fire of Rome. He writes that the founder of the sect was named um, Christos or Christos. Um, and again, apologize for butchering any pronunciations. <laughs> um, I, I'm not a scholar of many of any languages other than Roman English, and even yeah. sketchy at best. <laughs> um, but basically, that's the the Christian title for Jesus is what he was referencing there. So it does two things, you know. A, this gives us another historical reference to Christ, but also it just goes to show that you know Christians even early on, right, were getting a high amount of we'll say from all the way just from like at a low level scrutiny, but at the end, right, like these are people getting crucified for their faith. They're getting drug out in the streets, burned at the stake, like the. The most horrible things imaginable were happening to these people who were clinging to their faith. Um, and it's not because, again, they weren't benefiting from this Christian faith. You know, it's not like they're getting financial rewards from it. They weren't like getting positions of power within the city because they were Christians. Um, so this this high amount of this high amount of persecution, you know, of Christians, you know, and it wasn't just something that just, you know, only happened a little bit it is, is at this very foundational early stage of the church when all of these Christian writings are happening. So I know it's very popular for skeptics to kind of say, oh, you know, the church was trying to concoct all these crazy things. And it's like, but there, there wasn't really a lot of benefit for people to be like, oh, I'm going to make this up because I want to, you know, get burned alive. Um, you know, sure. Like, again, I, I could maybe understand that there's a technical possibility that certain people could fabricate things. But one of the beautiful elements to me of looking at when all of this happened in history is there's really no compelling reason why anyone would make any of this up. Um, and it's ultimately the skeptics who are, you know, needing it to be made up because they don't want to believe it. Um, or at least I should say that, you know, there is still an element of faith in all of this. And for those that don't want to believe, you, you people, they can find a way to not believe. You can find some rationale of believing that certain things were fabricated, certain things weren't true. But... For those, I think, that can maybe just look at the big picture and want to be more intellectually honest, I think there's a lot of a lot of a lot of hurdles that you'd have to go through to prove that, oh yeah, this was all just fabricated the, the existence of Jesus. I think it's worth mentioning too that there are other Roman historians and governors that have references to Christ as well. And a Google search will land you with names like um, Pliny the Younger or Septinius. For those of you who want to dig deeper, um, don't ask me how to spell those. Uh, Auto Christian <laughs> help you out there. Um, but it might be a bit 
uh, redundant to keep getting into that because um, the reference is a little bit more obscure and it requires a little bit more digging. Um, and we, but we do. The point is, there is quite a bit of documentary evidence um, of Jesus, and we've gone over a few of those. But it's not just that. And this might kind of rub um, rub up a little bit more for you know the authenticity of the Bible. But there's also other ways when we look at historical things that we try to answer historical people questions. Um, I guess one of the big ways would be like archaeological evidence. I mean, we use that all the time to determine um, about things about different people, history, cultures, castles and tools and other literature and stuff like that it gives us, you know, evidence to things and times that we just weren't around for. But for biological, like, people that lived at a time, it gets pretty difficult. I mean, you have some figures, like prominent figures, um, that left a trail of their existence. Like, it was really famous in ancient Egypt to their methods of mummification that led to us being able to uncover some of the most well-kept corpses ever found. If you ever watched The Mummy, right, they called them juicy. Like, they were, like, <laughs> pretty well-kept considering the length of time. But those people that were mummified were, like, major leaders and kings to get that kind of treatment. But the people building the tomb or those pyramids didn't get laid to rest inside them. Um, and so there wasn't much in the way of evidence for their like, individual existence for us to find today or really anybody uh, during that time of Jesus. Yep. But we get a lot of archaeological evidence that give a lot of authenticity to the stories of Jesus through several discoveries, like the physical evidence of Roman crucifixions, um, which are depicted in the Bible. And we can point to, you know, archaeological evidence that crucifixions were ugly thing that happened really commonly and that was you know one of the big ways that Nero persecuted all those Christians like we talked about um, for those records from Tacitus and perhaps one of the biggest um, that I found in the course of this was a location that was suspected as potentially being Jesus' childhood home in Nazareth. Have you heard about this one? No actually I, went, I, I saw a little bit of your notes I took a peek the other day and I saw that and I was like oh What's that about? Can't we? Yeah, <laughs> this was actually new to me too, and it's fairly recent. Um, and when archaeological things occur, like it takes years to dig some of this stuff up. Um, not just because it takes a lot of work, because I have to be so cautious and so careful. And so this is still happening. But there was a a site that was located beneath a covenant. Um, in the area where Nazareth has generally uh, been understood to have been. And I guess just a few years ago, um, this director of this archaeological project described this remains of a home, but actually found evidence that it might have been the place where he just spent his formative years. Um, or at least it was regarded as the Byzantine period as a child at home of Jesus. And it revealed like a first century courtyard house that was like partially hewn from like the natural occurring rock around it. And a lot of the home's original features were still intact, like doors and windows. And they even mm. found at the site like tombs and a cistern and a Byzantine church. Like this kind of stuff gets turned up. Like, I mean, we're in the 2000s, right? And they're still digging stuff up from back then. It's just wild. The, the one thing I've learned. Um, and maybe now I'm overly skeptical, but I've learned to be skeptical of all archaeological, archaeological, archaeology. I don't know what's the correct word. 
all, <laughs> all archaeological finds. Um, because it seems like until there's been a good amount of time and analysis and, you know, review, um, things can get really blown out of proportion quickly. Mm. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's done just for the sake of, you know, getting head newspaper headlines. Um, you know, when, when the Da Vinci Code came out and, you know, everyone was talking about, you know, oh, finding the That's tomb right. of Jesus and his lover and his kids and, you know, and, and again... I'll point you again to that evidence that demands a verdict because they give it a little bit of a treatment there just to answer some of those claims. But at the end of the day, it comes down to, you know, sometimes people will find things and they'll want it to be true. And, or at least they'll just have a, they'll have a strand of reasoning to say, oh, I think this is it. And they'll just throw it out there, right? Because it starts getting the headlines, gets their work notice, um, you know, gets a movie deal. <laughs> um, and then usually after, after other archaeologists, archaeologists come in and after more scrutiny is done, then people start to get the, the counter arguments and counter claims. So when, when I when I saw you post that, I was like, that kind of strikes me as one of the things I'm like, I don't know how you would possibly prove that. Um, sounds like the kind of thing someone says to get a newspaper headline. <laughs> yeah, I think that happens to like a lot of those, like you said, archaeological relics and things we dig up. It just, yeah, it was obvious it was an old thing and it's really hard to attribute a whole lot else to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, my favorite thing I from probably John Calvin that I've ever heard was that in reference to all of these like nails and pieces from a cross that you know had been found over hundreds of years that are now relics of the faith that various churches have or whatever mm -hmm. and make the claim that they you know, came from that place is John Calvin said that you know with as many that have claimed that these materials came from the cross of Jesus we'd have enough to build a ship like that's how many nails and pieces of cross people have claimed have come from there so it gets out of control and there's a lot of need for uh, what do you call that like peer criticism uh peer accountability and peer review kind of stuff yeah I, I think that kind of drives the point kind of i'll just bring it back around to close things up here which is you know there are some kind of surface level things that some people will see that are kind of flashy, right? Like, oh, we know Jesus is real because I have a piece of the cross or I have the shroud. Um, and, but but if we put all those kind of things aside even and just focus on the Bible, the gospel, and some of these early historical writings, and we look at, you know, just the history of the church at that time and what, what the church was going through to kind of understand the earnestness of those doing those writings, I think you have a very, very compelling case and I think you have the reason why, again, from an academic standpoint, everyone's pretty much universally agreeing that Jesus Christ was a real historical person. Um, now, whether or not all these different, you know, pieces of the cross, the nails, you know, the childhood home, you know, the, the grave with his lover or whatever, you know, you'll find all these things pop up from time to time. And maybe some of them are true. Maybe some of them aren't. Um, you know, we have to take them one at a time. I think the for me though the big point is and this kind of came up in my research and maybe for anyone listening this will come up as you do your research it's sometimes easy to get locked in on a very small detail and to get disheartened by it because mm -hmm. some piece of research isn't lining up with your notion that you had come to earlier right maybe your faith early on was really based on the fact that the the shroud was real and now maybe you're finding something that's giving you doubt about it Whatever the reason is, though, like whatever that detail is that you're locked into, um, sometimes it's good just to take that step back and look at the big picture.
right? Look at look at the big story that the Bible's telling. Look at the fact of how the church blew up and grew, the, the times and the people that were testifying to it in the and and despite the persecution they faced, what they were claiming and saying. And sure, there might be some odds and ends that we have to kind of get some resolutions to. Um, I mean, one thing that came up as I was reading um, the Bible was in Mark, um, you know, the ending of Mark. Um, I think it was Mark 16, but I might be mistaken. Um, but there's basically a little portion at the end of Mark that's like where basically Jesus's post-resurrection appearances. There's like a footnote that says, hey, this might not have been in the original transcripts. Um, and there's like all this back and forth about was it added later, you know, wasn't it? Um, some Christians will say that, you know, what I should say is that every Christian, like this has been around for ages since early Christian church. So it's, so it's not a, it's not that it's a new discovery. It's just something we've known about. And there's still a question of, well, why wasn't it in the earlier manuscripts? Is it because it wasn't actually done or was it added because it was done to just make sure that everyone is aware of the post resurrection events to kind of put it in parallel with the other accounts um you know who added it why um this detail could be very troubling to some people but it's ultimately just a small detail in the big picture of things and sometimes again we i think we we, we let our faith get shaken by some small detail because we really lost sight of the bigger narrative and the bigger picture and, and sure like as apologetics our job is to kind of sometimes look at the details and try to make sure we're addressing them and looking at them but for anybody who's new to apologetics who's new to kind of doing this pushing or challenging their faith just 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 keep that in mind you right don't don't let yourself get to the point where you can't see the forest um through the, wait what is that the, what's the phrase can't see the trees through the forest can't see the forest of the trees you're too close you see the tree and so you don't notice the forest yeah there's a phrase Something it's lines. that one that one yeah. you can't see the forest through the trees i think is the term <laughs> But don't don't get to that point where you're you're so you're so focused in on one issue that you're getting disheartened, right? Because the truth is that some of these issues and dilemmas, right? Like as we talked about with a lot of these things, they get really hard to solve now that we're you know thousands of years past when they occurred. Um, and it might be really tricky for us to get a good adequate resolution to some of these topics. Um, that doesn't mean the answers aren't there. That, mm, or that there wasn't sure. a good answer existing. And it doesn't mean that this one small issue suddenly dismantles all the other, you know, proof and evidence that's out there. Absolutely. And we obviously want to do our due diligence and we want to do our best to uh, hopefully give you um, a starting place, but not an end all um, for these questions. And so we definitely will do our best to provide you with as much as you know um we're able to find but we also don't want to go overboard and just you know dump a whole lot of um stuff that you then got to sort through even more questions you had in the first place and um and a lot of this is just for you know kind of an example of um here's some things to answer that question here's some critiques around that and here's some ways you can answer that because it kind of gives a full circle idea of you know kind of what apologetics is about or just the idea of having something you believe and how you defend that thing. We don't like to use, don't mean to attack you with a lot of terminology there. Yeah. Um, and so hopefully we did a decent job then of at least just giving some solid evidence to just the flesh and blood being of Christ. And we will likely have another episode that gets into the deity of Christ, which is also important. And um, which something we talked about a lot today. And also even the 
the authenticity and historicity, well, mess those words up, about the Bible as well. Great point. Use this as a jumping off point. There's tons of books out there you can read. Mm-hmm. We're definitely not the first people to ever talk about the historicity of Jesus. You'll find books of people that go both for and against, and again, kind of along the same lines, right? Like, feel free to read both, you know, educate yourself on both opinions. Um, just don't let yourself get disheartened, disheartened because you saw one thing that didn't line up with what you thought. All right. We've run, we've run quite far over on what was going to be a short, simple topic today. <laughs> but I think maybe maybe the other thing that, that everyone should be noting is that in the world of apologetics, there's no such thing as a short, simple topic. <laughs> yep. You start with a sentence and wind up with an essay. <laughs> if only it All happened right. that way when you did 500 word essays in grade school. <laughs> yeah. But thank you so much, everybody, for listening and for the Wednesday Night Podcast. Uh, hope that you all have a blessed time, and we'll look at you next time. Till next time. Thanks for listening to Misty Night. Want to join in on the conversation? Join our community on Facebook and let us know what you thought of the episode or what other questions or topics you'd like to hear us address. We want to work and grow together with you. So join us next time as we take the next steps on this journey to understanding in a world of questions.